Welcome into this week's episode of Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined, as always, by Colin Haas Hill here on the first month, first week of June, which means finally recruiting visits are back uh, after a dead period of more than 14 months. Recruiting visits finally started on Tuesday. Uh, on this Wednesday uh, is going to be the first camp, first of six camps for Ohio State uh, this month. And I think it's safe to say this could be the craziest month in college football recruiting in a long, long time. And to mark that, I, you know, we, we decided that we needed to have a guest, Dan. Isn't that right? That's correct. So we are pleased to welcome Andrew Ellis, uh, our very own, to his first ever appearance on Real Pod Wednesdays. Andrew, it's been too long since we uh, have started this podcast and not have you on the show. Uh, really appreciate you taking the time to join us this week. Yeah, I know. It's been about five or six years. I figured with all the craziness coming our way, this is probably a good time to uh, make my debut. So thanks for having me. So, Andrew, you've been following Ohio State recruiting for a long, long time. If you Can you ever remember anything that compares to this in terms of a volume of visits that Ohio State is about to host over the next four weeks? Um, no. Easy answer to that is no. Um, I think – I. I first started following Ohio State recruitment, <clears throat> recruiting back during the Maurice Claret recruitment. So class of 2002, um, that was back when people were still like calling 1-800 numbers to get information, which is kind of weird to even think about. But obviously none of the none of the social media stuff or anything like that. But as far as just the visits go, um, I think this is going to be like a typical Ohio State recruiting cycle. I mean, you've got you've got the spring game as one of those marquee events, and then you usually have like Friday night lights back when Urban Meyer did that. And then you'd have, you know, a couple big home games during the fall. And this just seems like the next 30 days is going to be like all of those events, like just pushed into one month. And, you know, I know Mark Pantone said they're expecting at least 51 visitors and they're just basically keeping a couple in their back pocket for this fall. Um, but yeah, this is going to be, it's going to be unlike anything we've seen, not just in Columbus, but across the country. I know last night, like right at midnight, Florida state's tweeting out, all these recruits coming into their facilities and it's just, it's just going to be a wild month. Um, and certainly unlike anything we've ever seen before. So Colin, how old were you when Maurice Claret was being recruited back in 2002? I don't know. I, Oh, 2002, I was seven <laughs> years old. Um, I don't know if I was calling one in hundred numbers back then, but, but if I could have, maybe I should have. Yeah. You guys missed out on that. I know. Yeah, I that, know we did. That sounds like a fun time. Yeah, it was. I, I, I know, um, you know, it's it's good to have you as a guest this week because we had Gene Smith and we needed to step up the star power this week. I think we got we aggregated about um, seven or eight pieces from from his comments last week. So I feel like we need to do the same with with whatever you say in this next uh, half hour. Or so we've got you here. But, you know, when you look at this month of visitors, I know you wrote about this over the weekend. No, who who are the biggest names? Who are the most important people to follow um, the, the, their visits to Ohio State? If you know some people are just casually following and they are about to get hit with a tsunami of, of recruiting information this month. So yeah, I did write about that over the weekend. I think the best way to kind of look at it is like three separate categories here. And honestly, the first category is just one person, and I did not include him in my list. But um, C.J. Hicks, as far as just being the most like. Captain Buckeye, like more solidly committed than anybody in the entire class. So just 
having him on campus, not only this weekend, he'll probably be there every single weekend, but as far as like the current commitments kind of putting on their recruiting hats and, and doing their thing, he's, he should, he's a name I probably should have in hindsight listed, but the other two categories are really just kind of the, the two guys that are currently committed now that I think people are a little bit like uneasy about just as far as their standing or their status as a, as Ohio state commits. And, and that category would be uh, Quinn Ewers, obviously the number one player in the country from Texas, the quarterback, and then um, Jaheim Singletary, the cornerback out of the state of Florida, both five-star guys. Um, and I guess I'll just say it up front. There's really no reason for concern or anything on either one of those recruitments, but just getting them on campus. I think Quinn Ewers hasn't been on campus since like eighth grade or something like that when he first uh, came to camp and I believe met Corey Dennis and that kind of thing. Um, so getting him up not only once, but I believe he's coming twice, coming twice this month. So that should just further help to solidify his commitment. And, you know, the court, the quarterback of the class is always kind of viewed as that, you know, that kind of, you know, lightning rod type of guy when it comes to attracting others to the, to the class. So getting him there is huge. Um, obviously he's not afraid of the quarterback room that Ohio state has. We know they've signed two quarter, two five-star quarterbacks in back-to-back classes with, uh, with Kyle McCord most recently, and then CJ Stroud back in 2020. Um, but I mean, Quinn Ewers, he has a, he has a blonde mullet. So I really can't imagine anything is going to kind of scare him off, but, uh, but yeah, he's in that category. And then Singletary just being in Florida, you know, he's somebody that's kind of handled things. He's really quiet about his, about his recruitment, but I know like Georgia and Florida and all those heavy hitters in the Southeast are going to keep coming at him. Um, and then the third category, obvious one, just the uncommitted guys that are kind of the top targets. Uh, some of the guys that I know I wrote about, um, Emil Wagner out of, uh, Huber Heights, Wayne high school. He's, it's kind of a weird situation like Notre Dame and Michigan offered him. He's not the offensive tackle. They offered him like well before Ohio state did. I think Alabama did as well. And then, um, Ohio state's had some unfortunate misses at tackle. So his, his importance has kind of gone, gone up over the last few months. And it seems like it's an Ohio state Notre Dame battle for him. Uh, he'll be there this weekend. Um, Omari Abor, uh, Omari Abor, the defensive end, he's a five-star defensive end out of Texas. Um, Oklahoma is kind of the big, the big competition there. Um, you usually would like to say, you know, you like Larry Johnson's chances going up against a school like Oklahoma that's known more for its offensive production. But, um, he grew up in Ohio, he grew up an Oklahoma fan. He's got some family tie, ties to that school. So getting him on campus is going to be big. And then, you know, the, the two big names at safety, uh, Xavier and Wonkpa is from Iowa. Um, Notre Dame and Texas A&M are actually getting him on their campus after Ohio State has him. So that's a little, a little bit concerning, the timing of all that. Um, and then Zion Branch is the other, the other safety out of Bishop Gorman. Um, he'll be on campus too this month. And Ohio State's probably going to get one of those guys. You know, I know they would take them both, but if we're talking about class of 22, those are the big names. I know we got another big fish for 2021 that we're going to touch on, touch on here in a bit. So those are kind of the ones that I'm, I'm watching the most closely here over the next 30 days. Who do you have on commitment watch right now? Like who's the guy who you think is most likely to commit by the end of a month? Okay. If we're, if we're talking about the 2022 class, I would say the two names to watch are, um, are Emil Wagner, who I mentioned. Um, he's somebody like, I think, I wouldn't be surprised if he did kind of end his recruitment after the, after next weekend's visit, but it also wouldn't surprise me if he did make those trips to Notre Dame. But I think by the end of the month, he'll have a decision made. Um, Right now I would say Ohio state's Ohio state's the favorite for that one. And then the other one is not a name that was on our list just because Ohio state's wide receiver room is absolutely absurd right now. But uh, Caleb Brown, he's a slot receiver out of the Chicago area. 
I think his visit is actually later in June. Um, and he's more of like a slot slot type of receiver. I don't think he's really Mookie Cooper. He's, he's a build a little bit differently than him, but that's going to be an interesting one because, you know, if he commits this month, he'll essentially be the third wide receiver in the class with uh, Caleb Burton and Keon Grays. And he's like priority number one for, for Michigan. So that's going to be, if they can get him in the fold, it'll be, it'll be a nice win. And it'll be a, it won't be a good look for Michigan because he's been a top target for, of theirs for, uh, I mean, for better part of a year now. Those are the two names I would. Those are the two names I got on commitment watch. You hinted at JT Tuomolo, so I feel like we shouldn't, you know, bury the lead too yeah. far in here. Uh, obviously, you know, he made his announcement last week of when he's going to do his official visits, and I think a lot of Ohio State fans are concerned about the fact that he's going to be visiting Alabama after Ohio State. How concerning do you view that from a Buckeyes perspective? So yeah, he was, he was on my list the, over the weekend. I didn't have it ranked or anything, but he would have, I mean, he would have been the number one player without question. Um, so before he announced his visit schedule, I was told by someone at Ohio state pretty definitively that they were expecting to be the last of the non-West coast visits. So like Ohio state would be there and then it would be Oregon or Washington or USC in some order. And then, you know, you see that tweet and you see the, you see the crimson there at the end. That's, that was a concern. I'm not going to lie. I think sometimes we put a little bit too much stock into like who gets first, who gets last visit. But when you know that Nick Saban's kind of been zeroing in on him and kind of handling that recruitment on his own for the last several months, um, that's, that's not ideal. Uh, and then, I mean, or I think Oregon is the other main contender there for him and Ohio state's actually got both Oregon and Alabama coming after them. So I still think that the relationship with Larry Johnson wins out in the end. Um, they've been doing the whole zoom thing for the last year, like everyone else has. So finally getting him on campus and kind of going over techniques and all those different things that he can do. I think that's going to kind of be what sets Ohio state apart. And then, you know, that Pacific Northwest feel they've got there in Columbus now with Emeka Buka and his former teammate, Guy Scott jr. Um, I think that's going to help as well, but it, it was not a good feeling to see Alabama there on the, on the end there. And I understand why that raises some cause for concern. Um, some people have asked like, is there a chance he visits Columbus and then just scratches those last two visits and the way he's handled things, I really don't think that's going to happen. He's waited, you know, over a year to make these visits. Obviously we're four months after signing day right now. And he's the last, the last 2021 kid we're talking about. Um, I still like Ohio state's chances, but, it's not, I don't think it's a slam dunk or anything like that. I'd have that one written in, in pencil, not quite in ink yet by any means. How, how immediate of an impact do you think JTT would be? Like, are you expecting that like this fall he is in a, a major part of, of Larry Johnson's rotation? Yeah, I think he would be an immediate, immediate contributor, whether it's in, you know, whether it's at Oregon or whether it's at Ohio state or whether it's in, Tuscaloosa. I mean, I, I, last week I was talking to Jason and I told him, you know, he could enroll in January. And obviously that would have been amazing for anybody, but he could enroll like two days before the Minnesota game. And, and he's just that good where he could still be in the rotation. So um, it's like, you look at it two ways, uh, like a Rushman package with him and Jack Sawyer, both on the field is, I mean, that's, that's scary for opposing quarterbacks. And then you think, well, what if he goes to Oregon and C.J. Stroud or Jack Miller is facing off against J.T. Tumaloa and Kayvon Thibodeau here in a few months. So, um, but he's he's good enough to where he he's going to make an instant impact anywhere, at least as a rotational type of player. Um, he he could have been the country's best tight end if he if he focused on that position. He's a hell of a basketball player. He's just he's just different. 
you were the country's best tight end, I'd tell him, definitely don't come to Ohio State. That would be a waste <laughs> yeah, of your time. Re- yeah, you're barking up the wrong tree if you're looking for that. So, yeah, it, I agree. Is there anybody, any under-the-radar guys who you think Ohio State is in maybe a little bit better a position for them right now uh, than, than most people think? Um, I would say not – it's not really under the radar as far as his rating goes, but um, there's an offensive tackle at uh, IMG Academy down in Florida, um, Tyler Booker. I think most people have him crystal balled to like Alabama or Georgia, one of the SEC schools. Um, he's, I think he's kind of quietly pretty high up on the tackle board, and I think the interest is definitely kind of reciprocated there. He's making an official visit this month too. Um, not like a done deal or anything like that yet by any means. But I think he's somebody to kind of watch as far as somebody we're not talking about as being in the 2022 class who could end up being one of those tackles. And I know when we when people talk about tackles, the the message boards and the, the people, their ears immediately perk up because Ohio State's missed out on a lot of guys. But um, I guess I'll make my stance on Greg Studrora clear right now. Uh, Ohio State's offensive line has been like one of the best in the country for the last several years. Uh Yes, they are, they're missing out on some guys, so that's a problem. But I think I think he's done a good job. You know, missing out on J.C. Latham and Keontae Goodwin, that one really hurt. He, he was the number one player on our board ever since we first released it for the 2022 class. But um, overall, I think it's hard to really disagree with what he's accomplished on the field, even though Ohio State does has missed on some tackles before. But I would say Tyler Booker's a name to watch. Um, don't pencil him into your class or anything, but – He's kind of a quietly, quietly a guy who's, who's, whose interest is pretty legit, even if we're not talking about him all that much right now. I love Coach Stud conversations. I mean, we, yeah, I know. It's every every few weeks. It feels like it's like that. You get one offensive, one offensive tackle mentioned, and you're you're ten, you're you're, you're ten comments away from from a Coach Stud argument. So so I, I always appreciate that. Um, I know me and Dan had talked maybe a little bit a couple weeks ago on. If, if you just sort of go through where Ohio State is with the 2022 class, like they're really set at a, at a few positions. And then you look at the offensive line and the defensive line that feels like in the trenches is where Ohio State, you know, the, the, the biggest needs still are in the class. Is that, is that how you see it? Yeah, definitely, without question. Like I said, that's why Emil Wagner has kind of surged up our board and he's more important now than he was two months ago or two weeks ago. Um, they need they need offensive linemen. They need defensive linemen. And if you look down that visitor list, we've been kind of keeping an ongoing list of the visitors on the recruiting forum. Um, a big part of what's going to be coming in this month is going to be, you know, defensive tackles like uh, the Caden Curry. I don't know if he's going to be able to come or not because of his baseball schedule, but he's he's our new number one on our board. Um, the Omari Abor that I mentioned, Kenyatta Jackson is a defensive end out of Florida who's probably going to go to Ohio State or Clemson. But I mean, that tackle spot is where they really, they really need, they really need some bodies. Honestly, it's, you know, you look at like, you know, they signed Donovan Jackson in the class of 2020 and he's projected as a guard probably could play tackle in a pinch, I guess. Um, But they need to like find these bodies that are the true, like dancing bears, the athletic, athletic tackle types and uh, missing out on Goodwin was a pretty, was a pretty big whiff, but you know, Emil Wagner, he's athletic. He's, he's a little undersized, but I think his weight, concerns are kind of a little bit over-exaggerated just because of track and basketball and whatnot. But, but yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. It's the trenches. And then I would say that safety spot too. I know Kai Stokes is committed. He's more of kind of a, kind of a wild card could play corner, could play safety, but, but yeah, you're exactly right. The trenches and then, and then safety, I would say is the most important position that they really need to, uh, that they really need to kind of add some bodies on. 
I know uh, Zach Rice is going to be one of the official visitors this weekend, the top-ranked offensive tackle in the country, but it sounds like you know, he's probably a long shot for Ohio State. Do you think there's anything they could do this weekend that could get them really back in that race? You know, I think if he gets to campus and, like, maybe him and Travion Henderson just both being from from the Virginia, you know, from Virginia, maybe they, like, hit it off or something, and that sort of sparks some interest that doesn't seem to have really been there over the last several months. Um, I would say that's probably in the long shot category. I know from what I've seen, it sounds like North Carolina is the the lead. I think he's actually on an unofficial visit there today even. Um, but I think that one's going to kind of take a maybe a small miracle to make that one happen. I would say Ohio State's running like probably fourth at best behind North Carolina, Alabama. I mean, Alabama, it's just ridiculous how many offensive linemen they get every year. But maybe Virginia too. So I would say long shot, but getting him on campus, you know, who knows. Obviously, this is a huge month for the 2023 class as well. Ohio State doesn't yet have any commitments in that class. How quickly do you think that's going to change now that visits are finally happening? Yeah, so I think that could I think that could change this this month. Even you know it's it's always tough to call because if Ohio State adds a guard in the 2023 class, then you know other schools are going to be using that against them for even the 2022 class. So it's always kind of a tough situation. But I would say the probably the Two names I would say that are on the list would be um, Joshua Padilla, the interior offensive lineman from Wayne High School. Um, obviously, he knows Emil Wagner. So getting both of those guys in the fold in June, I think, is is pretty realistic, actually. Um, he'd probably be the number one name on the list. And then um, Ohio State just offered a receiver from the Chicago area who's now at IMG Academy named Carnell Tate. I think he just got his offer over the last month. But it's one of those weird situations because every time somebody calls the school, their dream school, it seems like they don't end up at that school. Um, I think Keontae Goodwin called Ohio state, his dream school. Now he's heading to Kentucky, unfortunately. But uh, I know when Tate got that offer, he was throwing the whole dream school thing out there. But I think this is one of those situations where that's probably going to actually matter. Um, I think he's supposed to be visiting Columbus and South Bend this month, but you know, with, with what Ohio state's got in the receiver room, like if you, if you want in, I mean, you better you better just take that spot because if not, that chance might might pass you by. But those are the two guys I would say for the 2023 class, uh, Josh Padilla and Carnell Tate. But the biggest thing with 2023, and they talked about it last week, is just getting some of those guys at the camps to throw the ball because, I mean, they don't really have a very clear picture. And I know you think, you think of their quarterback room right now, it's loaded. But, I mean, they're going to need somebody in 2023. Um, they're not going to get Arch Manning. They're not going to get Malachi Nelson. Uh, so they really need to watch some of these guys. And th- that way, Corey Dennis and Ryan Day can kind of figure out which what the next wave of offers is going to look like. I was going to ask two more 2023 questions. Um, one about the quarterbacks. Like, are you expecting that it'll be a little bit of a lower-rated guy? Or are you expecting that they'll try and take their shot at the Quinn Ewers of the 2023 class? Or uh, how, how do you view it? Is it – you know, it, like I always view Drew Aller as maybe a candidate for Ohio State if they needed, you know, maybe a potential second quarterback and then he blew up. And like I maybe I imagine that guy in 2023 is a fit for Ohio State. How, how do you view the quarterback situation a year after all these guys know that Quinn Ewers is going to get on campus and clearly start for the Buckeyes? Um, I mean, like I said, you'd love to have Arch Manning or somebody like that, but I, I just can't see that happening. I think it's going to be one of those guys that comes to campus this month or this summer or whatever and kind of camps and just puts on a good show. Maybe a guy who's like a three-star when he commits and maybe he works his way up to being a four-star, but I mean, you got to, you got to think these, this 2023 quarterback that comes in is going to see Kyle, you know, Kyle McCord and, and Quinn Ewers in that room ahead of him. So it's just going to be 
it's going to be hard to kind of get somebody of that, of that caliber, I think. So I think we can kind of expect them to take, take a bit of a step back um, for the 2023 class. And I agree with you about, about Drew Aller. I mean, he's, that'd be an, if they could get him to come in alongside, I mean, that'd be, that'd be the ideal dream scenario. That's not going to happen, but yeah, I would expect the 2023 quarterback situation to take a step back and it's not going to really impact things all that much, honestly, just given what they've got in there already. Plus Quinn Ewers coming here in the next six months or whatever. Yeah, and if you look at the the 2023 class, like there are a decent amount uh, or at least a few guys who are pretty highly ranked Ohioans. And it feels like, especially since Ryan Day's taken over, like you just see him building the classes from the inside out. And really early on, they're getting some in-state commitments. They basically haven't really missed um, on on their in-state guys at all. Are you just assuming, just based on where they stand with the 2023 guys, that that's probably what's going to happen again? With the, just the top of Highlands, is that what you're saying? Yep. Yeah, I mean, like the, the Sonny Styles and the Luke Montgomery's and, you know, those types of guys, the Brennan Vernons, I don't think they're necessarily as close to making a decision as somebody like Josh Padilla that I mentioned earlier. But I'd be pretty surprised if Ohio State misses on any of those. Those are the big three in the state. I mean, each one of those guys is a potential five-star. I know um, I would say Sonny Styles is a little bit a little bit concerning just because of – his brother being in South Bend now. Um, but I think his, like, I think the pull for him to Columbus is a little bit stronger than it was for his brother. Um, so I, I don't think Ohio state's going to miss on any of those guys. And, and we talked about the quarterback situation, you know, maybe this is the year that they get a, a quarterback who's, who's from in state. Maybe it's not, it's not going to be somebody who's a, who's a top three or top five national name, but maybe they can get somebody from the state of Ohio to, to come in and kind of, you know, be behind Quinn Ewers. And it's, it's probably a name we're not even talking about now. Cause I mean, like I said, this month is going to be the, the pivotal month for watching some guys throw and, and sending some more offers out there. But the, the 2023 Ohio class is ridiculously strong, especially at the top. And um, they, they need to clean up on those names and they haven't had much of an issue of late doing that in the state, you know, Jackson Carmen a few years ago, that was a bit of a problem, but other than that um, they've done an exceptional job in the state and that should, that should continue. I know this, if Ohio State does miss on Luke Montgomery, there will be another Greg Stadrawa conversation in the forums. Oh, yeah, that'll be a um, that would be a nightmare. So um, I hope that does not happen because I don't want to deal with it. <laughs> we do have a couple questions from fans. One of them came from NH Buckeye, and he asked, what is your take on the Sean Murphy recruitment? It seems like a weird situation. He's a he I think he was a five star. I don't think he is anymore, but Ohio State isn't sure if he's the right fit for the scheme. Do you think he ultimately ends up in the class? Um, I'm gonna say no right now for him ultimately ending up in the class. I think I think a lot of this kind of stems from a camp that he was at, like I want to say over a year ago, probably a year and a half ago. He was there when it was kind of unfair to him because he's one of the linebackers working out, and then the other linebacker you got working out next to him is CJ Hicks, who's like the biggest one of the biggest athletic freaks in the entire class. Um, so I, I, I just think he seems more of like the old school middle linebacker, the run stuffing type. Um, and I know Ohio state fans are familiar with that. Cause we've had one of those, we had one of those in Columbus for the last seem, seemingly like six years. Uh, but, but I just, I don't know if he's gonna, if he really fits what Al Washington is looking for. Um, they want more of that athletic type was able to run sideline from sideline to sideline, you know, cover tight ends, all that stuff that that really that Pete Werner did. So I'm going to say he's probably not going to end end up in the class. Now I could see him ending up at a school like Alabama. They've done, they've done fine with some of those bigger, 
middle linebackers who are just kind of built more to stuff the run. Um, but I mean, maybe I'm selling Sean Murphy short. I mean, maybe he just had a bad day and maybe he does some camps again and he just looks like a completely different player. Um, but yeah, you're right. His rating is kind of dipped. And honestly, I think a lot of it just stems from that one camp when he looked a little bit, didn't look as athletic as CJ Hicks. And there's really no shame in that. Like I said, do you think there is another linebacker in this class who really fits what they're looking for? Cause it seemed like Deshaun McCullough was exactly what they needed to kind of round out that class as that kind of athletic guy. You could play a bunch of different positions and it doesn't seem like there's really an obvious fit to take his place in the class. Um, I mean, I agree with you on Deshaun McCullough. That was just the, that was just the perfect, the perfect fit. Um, and I understand why he made the decision that, that he did that family stuff is, you know, that's hard for anybody to overcome. But I know they're looking at um, Malik Spencer. He's from he's from Georgia. He's from Buford, Georgia, and he's a safety listed as a safety. He's committed to uh, to Michigan State, actually. Um, not a ton of star power, you know. He's a three star kid, but I think he's like six two and maybe two hundred pounds. And I think they just kind of view him as somebody who's eventually going to pack on 20, 30 pounds and become an outside linebacker or a bullet or whatever. Um, I know he's visiting this month, and if Ohio State offers, I. I can't see him sticking with the, with the Michigan state commitment. So that might be the name to watch moving forward. Um, I mean, they definitely need at least one more linebacker. I mean, uh, I know CJ Hicks tweeted out some photos today with him and him and Gabe powers and Gabe, Gabe powers looks massive. So the odds of him staying he may not even stay at linebacker. He might, if they view him as a defensive end, eventually, you know, heck they might need to get two more linebackers in this class. So I think I would watch Malik Spencer committed to Michigan state and then, you know, there could be a name this fall who just kind of sees his stock rise and, you know, they, they could extend some new offers out there, but, but they're going to need at least one more linebacker in the class, if not two. The other listener question we got came from Ginnon Juice. He asked, A.E., have you resorted to full-blown alcoholism since dipping your toes in the recruiting forum, Freds? Um, I have not yet, uh, but I will. I know why he's asking this question because there's been a lot of um, – a lot of, little bit of pessimism lately, like glasses half empty type of stuff. And I remember back when Mecca Buka visited Oklahoma last, and I was telling everybody because we we had a pretty good we had pretty good intel that he was he was going to end up at Ohio State even with that visit. You were you were beating the drum on that. I, <laughs> yes, thank you. I was, um, but uh, there was there was some concern on the on the forum about that, you know. And I understand why you're concerned about Oklahoma hosting a quarterback or a receiver, or any skill position player. I get that completely. But, um, you know, I kept telling everybody, like, he's he's not going to Oklahoma. He's going to Ohio State. And there was there were a few posters that were a little concerned about that. Um, and I didn't quite bring myself to drinking, but I was close there for a bit. And now, you know, now we've got the, the JT situation. And that's not anywhere close to the Emeka situation. So I think that one is still completely open. Um, but – in general, like the community that posts over there, like I, I want to give a shout out to them because I can't be, I can't check the board during the day much and stuff. And when I check it at lunch or I check it after work, there's some people that are always posting tweets and they're posting videos from camps and stuff like that. So that's very much appreciated. So shout out to those guys. Um, and, and I always appreciate the banter, whether it's, whether it's, Hey, Ohio state's getting every single person or whether it's, you know, Hey, I'm really worried. Is Ohio state going to be able to land Luke Montgomery or somebody like that? But but um, no, I haven't quite driven myself to drinking yet, but um, I always appreciate the banter on the forum. So that's much appreciated. I always, you know, recruiting's recruiting is so weird and that none of it makes sense. Like we're all just basically talking about where high schoolers are going to go to college. Yeah. And that's an entire industry that 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 just boiled down like is exactly what it is. And they're just the weirdest antics. They're like, 
they're fun, they're absurd, they're tiresome, they're hilarious. Um, where do you feel like the best recruiting antics are going to come from in the next six months or so? Um, I mean, you have to look at Florida. Like, you have to look at the state of Florida and the kids down there. I mean, like, we always – we joke about, like, last cycle um, that Kamar Wilcoxon, who was being recruited by Ohio State, being recruited by Ohio State, and just, you know, just committing, committing to, like, seven different schools and, you know, quietly tweeting things, tweeting that I've committed to this school and then deleting it instantly. And just that kind of stuff is always – funny to me. And, and like you said, it is weird that we follow it this closely. I mean, I'm, I'm 36 years old and I've been talking to you guys for the last 20 minutes now about high school teenagers and what they're going to do with their lives. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, just, just the state of Florida in general, I mean, it's just a different, it's just a different state down there and they do things differently down there. And it's, it's always fun to follow. It's always interesting, but I, I look forward to seeing that next type of player that's going to follow in, in Kamar's footsteps and, you know, commit to Tennessee and then, claim you're committing to Ohio state or what have you, but you know, no shame in that. It's always fun to follow for us. So I, I, I enjoy that. So, yeah. There will always be one and there will probably be more than one and that I can always appreciate. Yep, we're going to, we're going to be here for it. So, yeah. Well, Andrew, we do always appreciate talking to you about recruiting. Always appreciate getting your insight. Is there anything else, you know, you want uh, our listeners to, to know before you sign off here? No, honestly, I just want to say thanks again to everybody who contributes to the recruiting board. Um, the, the, the visitor thread, it's just people are updating it and posting tweets and all that different stuff from the, uh, from the teen population that we love to follow so much. Uh, but, but no, just a shout out to everybody that reads. Thanks to everybody for reading to contribute for contributing. And, um, the next, I mean, the next 30 days is going to be wild. So we're, we're definitely here for it and, um, it's going to be fun to follow. It's a great community, and I know that they uh, really appreciate you. So we're going to have to not go five years without having you back on the show again, Andrew. We're going to have to have you back on again because it's always a pleasure to talk to you. So thanks so much for joining us, and we'll talk to you again soon. Yep, anytime, guys. Thanks for having me. Always good to talk to Andrew about football recruiting and wanted to ask you a little bit as well, Colin, about basketball recruiting because the dead period ending here and recruiting starting up in June, that doesn't just apply to football. It applies to all college sports. And you just wrote an article on Tuesday about 12 players who Ohio State could be targeting as potential additions to its basketball recruiting class of 2022. And uh, the gist of it is that you know, Ohio State's they're, they're set with who they're going to add in the backcourt. They've already got Bruce Fortin and Roddy Gale and uh, Bowen Hartman. So they're not looking for any more guards in this recruiting class of 2022. But based on what you've heard from talking to you know your sources, it sounds like Ohio State still wants to add two more forwards to this 2022 class. Yeah, it's, you know, Basketball recruiting is a weird animal in general because you have all these names and you're essentially each year just looking to fill two to four spots generally. Um, and over the last six months, like there just hasn't been any basketball recruiting news because there's only been so much going on. Like there are a bunch of Zooms, a bunch of text messages, a bunch of phone calls from Ohio State to, you know, recruits and their families. And, you know, you've seen them appear on some like top seven, top eight lists. But after those three guys, like you mentioned, uh, committed with two of them, uh, Gail and Thornton doing so in November, there just hasn't there, there just hasn't been a ton to talk about with basketball recruiting. But we are about to see that thing get ramped up um, in a big way. And I and I know in the past I've talked about how I've, you know, 
I never expected a Chris Holtman team to recruit more than four guys in a recruiting class because the way that roster attrition happens, the way that you have to build a team and build a program, it's just usually not feasible to have that many you know, incoming freshmen in one class. And I don't think that that will apply to this year because when I've said that in the past, I wasn't anticipating a situation where they would have nine seniors, which is the case this year. Um, and when you think about the past two classes, you know, Ohio State's gotten, you know, I think in the past three classes, Ohio State's done pretty well in the in the backcourt. You know, when you think of Malachi Branham, um, when you think of Thornton, Gale, Hardman, Eugene Brown, Michi Johnson, like they've done well there. But, you know, in 2020, the only, you know, Ford big, big man guy that they got was, was Zed Key. In 2021, the only guy who could really be, you know, under that label is, is Kalen Etzler. So 2022, like you, to me, this is a really, really important position to fill where you have to be happy if you're an Ohio State fan that right now Ohio State's ranked number one in the 2022 class rankings. But just given where they are as a program and what they need, like these last two, um, these last two commitments that they're going to to try and seek over the pet, the next couple months are, are going to be pertinent to, to filling out what they are as a complete team. So who would you put at the top of a list right now? Like if Ohio State could get any two guys to fill out this class, who do you think those two would be? I think it's hard right now because there's no one who I look at and say, I think they are the overwhelming front runner for this guy. Like there are several guys who I think they're in a good position for, like AJ Casey, who I would mention, um, a, a six eight power forward from from Chicago. Like I think Ohio State's positioned well for him. They're not going against blue bloods as of now. You know Michigan, especially with Juwan Howard and and his you know ties in in the Chicago area is is going to be tough. And Illinois is you know pushing hard for him as well. And then Gonzaga has offered him as well. But but Ohio State's bringing him in for an, uh, an official visit shortly here early in June. Um, and I think that I think that that's a guy that you have to look at and feel pretty confident with where Ohio state is right now. You know, Kyle Filipowski is another guy who I would mention with the one caveat that, you know, he's blown up a little bit. And at the end of the month, he's going to go take an official visit to Duke. And if Duke offers, you know, that's just a tough position for Ohio state to be in. But I think right now, you know, Ohio state has to feel good about, about where they are with, with him right now. You know, they're bringing in Dylan Mitchell who has some Ohio ties. You know, he's more of the, the Ford type of versatile Ford um, who can play several, several positions. Uh, he's, he's super athletic. You know, I think that you have to feel decent about where you are at, w- with him. Um, and they're just, a, you know, there are a lot of guys like, I don't, I don't actually know how to pronounce his first name because I haven't actually paid attention to him for more than just a day or two, but Jarris Walker, he's a five-star. He's the number seven overall player in the country. Ohio State just offered him. They're apparently, you know, going to get a visit from him, which I cannot stress how out of nowhere this is because he hasn't been on my radar at all. Um, but, you know, he's the kind of guy who, if, if they get on a visit, um, you never know what can happen, and you never know if, if he can fall in love with, with what Ohio State can offer or whatnot. Like, there are a lot of interesting guys. I think that that's sort of my overriding point. There are a lot of interesting guys right now that I think Ohio State probably feels good about where they are with them, and, and now it's time to, to make some real progress, get out in front of some other schools and, and prove that, you know, you deserve uh, or that, that, that you're going to uh, be the best spot for them. I know AJ Casey's a five stars too. So is he, was he the guy that's kind of like at the top of a list right now in your mind? You know, he, 
I, I would put him right there at the top. I, I don't know. You know, there was, I would say in the past two years, like there have been two guys who I've just felt like were clearly the number one guys in their board. And like one, it was Malachi Branham for the longest time was the number one guy and they secured him. And then it was Efton Reed for over a year, ever since Malachi committed, like Efton Reed was that number one guy. And they felt, they felt great about Efton Reed up until things got hairy at the end. And he ended up going to LSU. Um, right now, I don't think that Wonder there's why. Yeah, there, I don't think there's one guy who I would who, who I would put there yet. And I think that that's what June is going to help us figure out. And you never know, like maybe there's a surprise commitment or, or, or whatever. But, um, you know, right now it's it's getting these guys on campus and um, showing them what you have to offer for the first time in you know 15 plus months. Now, the other news of this past week uh, came last Wednesday when we got a, a treasure trove of documents from Ohio State that I know uh, you and I and a lot of other media had requested and uh, a lot of documents related to the cancellation or temporary cancellation of, of last year's uh, Ohio State football season. And obviously, you know, this is stuff that happened nine months ago. It's not necessarily uh, timely or, or, or newsworthy at the moment. And I don't think there was necessarily anything groundbreaking that we learned from those documents but it was interesting to to get that behind the scenes glimpse i mean that's why we request public records like this is to kind of get a a behind the scenes glimpse of uh you know the conversations that were going on uh within the athletic department at that time and you know to me I, i think my big takeaway was i think christina johnson uh and gene smith both came out of these documents looking good. Both came out of it as uh, people who were clearly fighting for the opportunity for Ohio State to have a football season. And I think Kevin Warren, who at least according to Christina Johnson and a text to Gene Smith, uh, thought that the letter that was written to him by parents of Ohio State football players was, quote, manufactured. Obviously, there's two sides to every story. Kevin Warren has not addressed this over the past week, but if that's true, not a good look for Kevin Warren and, and does not is not going to help uh, the perception that he is someone who uh, is out of touch with the players and their parents' concerns. Yeah, I think, you know, I think that discussing these documents is a little bit difficult. I think that what you said is true, um, that Gene Smith and Christina Johnson from the documents look good. And I think, you know, when you when you see Christine Johnson asking, like, is it possible to play independent? You know, Gene saying that, you know, they're looking into the contracts and then, you know, a few hours go by and it's like, no, talk to Kevin Warren, not going to happen. Um, you know, it's interesting to see that behind the scenes look. And, and it did seem like Ohio State, Gene Smith, Christina Johnson were doing whatever, you know, what they could to, to try and play. I just think it's important for everybody out there to keep in perspective what we didn't get. And that's, we didn't get, to be honest, like I'm, we all made, we all made different requests out there in the media. Um, I know I made specific requests that were just not fulfilled. Um, We didn't get any of Ryan Day's texts. We only got Gene Smith's text to Christina Johnson. We only got Christina Johnson's text to Gene Smith. We only got them on certain dates. Um, You know, Urban Meyer only appeared in once and it was just to, 
to, to, to praise Christina Johnson. If you're going to say Urban Meyer didn't, you know, text or call any, anybody else or, or email anybody else at Ohio state, like, I'm just not going to believe it um, during that timeline. Like, am I supposed to believe that, that, that Gene Smith's only conversations about this were with Christina Johnson? No. So, so I think that, I think that from the documents, they looked really good. Um, I just think it's important to mention what we didn't get. And that is a lot of stuff. And, and you see a lot of times in those text messages, them saying, call me. And it's like, cause they know that things are public record. They're not like Gene Smith, Christine Johnson. They've been around for a while. They're not going to put any, anything incriminating. Well, let's be honest. They've been through this before. <laughs> they have. They have. I mean, not, not necessarily Christina Johnson because she's she's new here at Ohio State. But Gene Smith, he's been through this before. Yeah, and, and I think that that's important to keep in mind um, as much as anything else. And that's why, like like you said, like I don't think that there's much of a conversation to be had about this other than in these specific documents, they looked good. And we did not get a, you know, a significant amount of documents that I think would have been important to tell the full story. We told those documents told the story that Ohio State wanted them to tell. Um, and I, and I, you know, it's the, I, I think I would, I would probably leave it at that, which is like, you know, it was a good story for Ohio State. That's fair. That's fair. I mean, I think you're right. I don't think anything that was included in those documents made Ohio State look bad. So I think that's, uh, a very fair thing to say, and I think it's also very fair to say that you know there were documents in there that were not included, and and we'll never know, or you know at least I don't think we're going to know uh, what exactly was included in in some of those certain documents. So you know, and, lots I, and of- I don't think yeah, I don't think that there are some documents out there that are incriminating or that would make people you know completely change their mind. I just think it's important that like there are things that we don't know. And it's not like, I just want this to, I, I just want to be clear. Like this isn't the full story um, that th- those documents told a story. It gave you a lens uh, in, into what was going on. It didn't tell you the entire story. And I think that that that's the important thing that, that I would keep in mind. We did get one question about this from STL Buckeye 15. He, he said, Warren is obviously not a fan favorite, but also seems to have drawn ire from Ohio state leadership as well as leadership of other schools. Any chance there are any consequences for his actions? Uh, you know, I think that to me, I think that depends on what, you know, you're looking for in terms of consequences is uh, Kevin Warren going to get uh, impeached or whatever you would call it as, as commissioner. I don't think so. Um, you know, I think the consequences, you know, I don't know if it, you know, I, again, I don't think, you know, he's going to be, you know, punished or anything. You know, I don't think there's going to be some kind of tangible, punishment for him i think the consequences are that you know this is a guy who's been commissioner for less than two years now and he's already lost the trust of a lot of people you know i think it's clear he's lost the trust of fans and of players and their parents but i think when you see you know texts like that between christina johnson and gene smith you know that also tells you that you know he's also you know, at least at that time, I mean, I'm sure emotions have cooled in the nine months since, but you know, it's also shown you that he doesn't necessarily have the trust of other people in the conference who are in positions of power. And so I think those are the consequences to me for Kevin Warren. I really don't see him ever fully recovering from this. I, I think what happened this past year, I think that is going to define Kevin Warren's tenure as big 10 commissioner no matter how long he's in this job. I, I think 
barring some bigger, worse scandal, I just don't see how, you know, he's ever going to overcome this to a point where this isn't going to be the thing that defines his tenure as Big Ten commissioner. And quite frankly, I don't think he's done anything in the last nine months to, to even start that process of changing the perception about him. Because I think, you know, generally, I mean, I still haven't had a chance to talk to him. Maybe at Big Ten Media Days, maybe he'll maybe he'll talk. I don't no idea. But, you know, he, he hasn't really been available to the media much at all. He, you know, he hasn't, he, it's in my opinion, has not made much of an effort to, to reach out to fans and, and to really change the public perception about him. And so I think that to me is the biggest consequence is that, you know, I think it's going to be difficult for him to ever really be somebody who has, you know, the full trust of the Big Ten community because a lot of people were so unhappy with how things were handled last year. Yeah, I, I think that the public perception is probably going to take a long time to, to figure out. I, I, I certainly don't see this as a, you know, something that's a lost cause by any means. And I think that um, it was interesting. You know, one of the documents that was included was a text from Christina Johnson to Kevin Warren. Like, I don't know if it was the day of or the day before they were going to have some vote it's been a week, so I don't remember specifically what it was, but it was basically introducing herself saying, hi, I'm Christina. I'm the president elected Ohio state. And like that to me is so crazy um, that that's, that's what they were doing. And I think that it was so early in a lot of people's relationships with Kevin Warren. It was so early in Christina Johnson's relationship with so many people involved in this, that to me, for me to view this as the defining moment, I think is, Probably to to me that would go a little bit too far because I think there's it, I think there's a lot that's going to happen in the future and there is a lot of relationship building that just never had a chance to happen and I don't think Kevin Warren came out of the gate and did a great job with with doing that with everybody in the conference and getting everybody on the same page I think it's pretty evident that 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 didn't go well um, it's been nine months I would imagine that that he has tried to know, build those kind of relationships and, and, and bonds with those in the conference behind the scenes. I would hope uh, so. He has seemed like he's done more interviews and, and more media recently, even if he hasn't uh, talked to uh, anybody on the Ohio state beat and, 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 you know, the, the recent months, but, um, but I, I don't know, like, like, are there going to be consequences for his actions? I think the consequences are that people, who are who root for many teams in the Big Ten really don't like him, and I think that public perception um, is is the consequence for his actions. The consequence that he's going to show up to an Ohio State game this fall, and he's going to be shown on the big screen, and there are going to be thunderous boos. Like that's going to be the consequence for his actions, um, and I don't think that they're going to be at least if he is if he is is he if he is competent in the way that I would imagine somebody who gets to that position is. Um, I, I don't think that the consequences are going to be that there there are bonds that just cannot be formed uh, behind the scenes. I, I I think that those are that that he he came into a situation that was so difficult early in his tenure and just wasn't prepared for it. Um, and I think over time that can heal. The public perception is going to take quite a bit longer. I think. And to be fair, commissioners in sports are almost always hated. I mean, look at Roger Goodell. Look at Gary Bettman. Look at Rob Manfred. Yeah, Jim Delaney. I mean, yeah, I mean, co- commissioners in sports, it's very rare. I mean, I think Adam Silver in the NBA seems to be generally liked, but it's 
for the most part, it's very rare for a commissioner in sports to be a publicly popular figure. And so that doesn't, you know, just because the public doesn't like him does not by any stretch mean that he's not going to have a long tenure as big 10 commissioner. I just think it's, it's going to, I think publicly, maybe not behind the scenes. And so I think the points you make are very good. I think publicly though, I think it's going to be hard for him to ever become somebody who's liked by big 10 fans. You know, maybe if he can really do some good things and we get far enough away from what happened this past year, maybe, but I think that's going to be an uphill battle for him to climb throughout his tenure. Yeah. And I think my question would be, so what? Yeah. Like, does that matter? Maybe him, not. Does that matter? I don't, I don't, I don't Probably know. Like, not. Yeah, I think generally it's, it's good for a commissioner to be liked and to have public support backing him because if the public backs you, it makes you a little bit stronger. But if your relationships are strong enough, then oftentimes it doesn't matter. The issue is that the relationships uh, were certainly not strong enough last summer. And, you know, Hopefully there's nothing like that coming up in, in the near future. But if there is, you know, inevitably there will be some situation where he's going to be at the forefront of, forefront of, and, you know, it's going to be important for him to, you know, be more powerful and more decisive and uh, make decisions that everybody supports and get everybody on the same page. The other thing we saw in those documents was kind of the detailed plans for what a spring football season might have looked like if that had actually been a thing. And yeah, I don't really think any of that was too groundbreaking. I think we kind of knew most of that. And, you know, fortunately it wasn't something that ever became a a reality, but I just know for me, like when I was looking at some of the plans, like I was looking at, and and if you, if you go to 11warriors.com and you look for it, you'll be able to find uh, the article that, you know, we put together last week, kind of looking at those plans for a potential winter spring football season if you want to read up on it more but uh just seeing the plan that uh pat hobbs the Rutgers athletic director put out and he was you know noting about how they'd have to plan around you know the opening rounds of the ncaa tournament and all that and my thought was just man like how crazy would our february and march have been if we were covering a football season at the same time as the part of a basketball season that everybody cares about. Yeah. And, and my thought was that I was, I was fairly supportive of, you know, the idea that a spring season could look, you know, fairly interesting. And then I saw like one of the proposed calendars where it's like on January 30th at two 30 PM on a Saturday, they would play Ohio state would play Bowling Green at Lucas oil stadium two weeks later. Um, they would play on a on a Saturday at 6 p.m. at Lucas Oil against Buffalo, and then a week later they would play at 2:30 p.m. on a Saturday against Rutgers. And I was like, "Who wants that? <laughs> Who wants that? That sounds horrible." Yeah, it to be fair, that was never going to happen because that was that was assuming that all the other conferences were going to fall over Big Ten and postponing to the spring, and then they'd all be able to get on the same page and keep their schedules intact. That was never going to happen, but but yeah, thankfully, it, it would have been really weird. Uh, thankfully, it looks like all systems are go for a normal season in 2021. Uh, really, about an hour before we started recording this, Ohio State announced that uh, season tickets are on sale, and uh, they are hoping for full capacity at Ohio Stadium this year. So, as as we've talked about before on the show, I think that's something we both feel like is a matter of time that. Uh, unless some kind of snag gets hit here 
in the next three months that we expect uh, full capacity. Uh, I think really pretty much everywhere college football this year, not only at Ohio State, but I think all over the country. And, and that will be a good thing if and when it happens. Yeah, and it's hard for me to see the snag getting hit. Like the snag getting hit would be if like nobody got vaccinated and the numbers did not decrease the way that everybody thinks that they will. And I don't think that snag's going to be hit. We got a few more questions from you guys. We got a three pack of nachos here. Nacho asking uh, three different questions this week. Uh, the first one he asked was, what do you make of CJ Stroud? Not just winning the elite 11, but also having the record for the best elite 11 pro day performance of all time, scoring a 50. Sure. He was highly recruited, but not as high as his elite 11 performance would indicate. Do you think he can really live up to the potential we saw at elite 11? Also, what quarterback do you compare him to? Well, to start with the Elite 11, I think the thing about that was he was really pretty much an unknown nationally before Elite 11. He was he was not a guy who, you know, I think he was well down in the recruiting rankings before that. He was, you know, he was uncommitted. You know, he 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 had some offers, but he didn't yet have the, you know, Elite of the Elite offers at that time. And it was really Elite 11, his performance there that led to him becoming one of the top quarterback recruits in the class and led to him, uh, you know, ending up at Ohio state, getting that offer from Ohio state. So, you know, all of that was connected, but, you know, I, I wrote about CJ Stroud a few months ago and, and his background too. And, you know, part of it too, is the fact that he, you know, he played basketball when, um, you know, he was in high school. Um, you know, he also, you know, he, he wasn't, starting right away you know he he had to wait his turn to be a starter so his recruitment you know took off a little bit later you know a jack miller for example he was really highly touted when he was a freshman in high school like people were already talking about him people weren't talking about cj stroud really until you know his junior year it kind of started to ramp up and then it was really the elite 11 where things took off so you know i think if if he had if he had started to get that attention earlier, he probably would have been even higher in the recruiting rankings than he was. And so, you know, I, I don't, you know, I don't think it's necessarily like, well, he wasn't a five-star, you know, like there was something missing from uh, his performance that led to him not being a five-star. I think it was more of a fact that he had a lot of ground to make up in order to get to where he got. And he really had, a pretty meteoric rise in his senior year of high school uh, leading to him, you know, getting that offer and ultimately committing to Ohio state, you know, in terms of, can he live up to the potential we saw at elite 11? That's tough Colin, because neither of us were there. So uh, it sounds like he was phenomenal at that event, but we weren't actually there to see it. So that makes it hard for me to say. Yeah. So like that elite 11 thing was, was tremendous. And I do think, like when, when you think about the potential of CJ Stroud, you sort of have to bring it up because you think about all those names that oh, yeah. were there. Um, I mean, Bryce Young was one of them and he's yep. going to be, you know, Alabama's starting quarterback, presumably in the fall. Um, he was a, you know, high end five star going into that. He left as a high end five star. Um, it's, it's hard to know how much stock to take in that though, because that was 23 months ago. <laughs> so if you are going to say, uh, 
we are going strictly off of the elite 11, 23 months ago. Like, I just think that's hard. I think that helps you set a ceiling and say that this guy can be really, really good. And he's proven it against the elite of the elite that, you know, if you want to say like maybe Ohio state fans, Ohio state media are underrating what he can be a little bit. Like, I think that probably helps your case. It's hard to know exactly what that indicates beyond he had an awesome day 23 months ago and showed that he's a, he's a high level, high end quarterback. Yeah, I don't know that I would agree that he's being underrated by Ohio State media or national media or anything because I think basically everybody's assuming he's going to be the starter when he's never even thrown a pass in an Ohio State uniform and he's showing up on top 10 Heisman lists and all that. So uh, in my mind, he's not being underrated. In my mind, uh, he is being properly rated as somebody who uh, has a lot of potential, but there's still a lot of unknowns. I think, you know, I think the biggest thing you can take away to me from, you know, seeing what he did in elite 11 and, you know, even this past weekend, I know he was at a camp out in California with a lot of the top quarterbacks in the country. And he got a lot of rave reviews there. I, I think the big thing that I would probably say is important to recognize about CJ Stroud is like, this is a guy who has the tools to be an elite passer. Like, I think that's the biggest thing to take away. Cause I think, a lot of times, naturally, a guy like him who's got some mobility and could be a dual threat, a lot of times people just naturally seem to think that maybe he's not as polished of a passer. And I don't think that's the case with C.J. Stroud. I think C.J. Stroud has the ability, he has the tools to be an elite passer. Now, whether he will be right away playing at the college level when he has no experience, that's a different question. There's a big difference between throwing the ball in a camp setting when you're not wearing pads and nobody's hitting you and, and all of that, than there is, you know, actually throwing the ball in a game. But I think the tools are there for him to be that elite passer, that elite college quarterback, and eventually an NFL quarterback. Now he's just got to make good on it. Part of the question was asking about like who do you compare to? I, I that's always a hard question. It is, um, especially when it's somebody who we haven't we've seen throw twenty five passes since he stepped on campus. <laughs> they were all in an exhibition game. Um, I will say like he looks physically a lot better than he did when he arrived on campus. I thought when he arrived on campus, like there were some people who would throw out like the Justin Fields comparison and not to say like he is as good as Justin Fields, but like they have somewhat similar games. And I never saw that because what I thought part of what made Justin Fields special is that he was a physical freak in terms of he was just big. And if you look at his legs, like he looked like a running back. I'll never forget like um, just being like, how in the world is this guy a quarterback when he has he has he has thighs the size of fullbacks? <laughs> He's just de- he was just different physically. I don't think that CJ Stroud is that. I always thought he was super skinny, and just in photos that we've seen recently, especially at the QB retreat this week, like you mentioned, he looks really filled out, especially in his upper body. And I think that that's really important because I was wondering physically how he how he would be, um, and. He looks he looks a lot readier to, to play quarterback for Ohio State and, and start for them than I would have said maybe a year ago. Yeah, I mean, I I've used the Justin Fields comparison before, just in the sense that I think he offers the ability to potentially run the offense in a similar way to Justin because I think he's got that same kind of ability 
to extend plays outside the pocket while still being, you know, a pass first quarterback, you know, that that's kind of what I look at it there. You know, you think of like a Dwayne Haskins a few years ago, he's a guy who was really strictly a, a pocket passer. I look at a Kyle McCord. I think he's a better athlete than a Dwayne Haskins, but I think if he was the quarterback, I think there would be less of a running element in, in the offense. I, I think he, he's definitely a guy who his strength is, is more pocket passing Jack Miller's probably somewhere in the middle between the two, but I think CJ Stroud, I, you know, again, Justin Fields is a physical freak. So to compare him to, to, to Justin Fields, you know, I, I it's a stretch because I mean, for one, he, he's never played a college game. And two, I mean, Fields is such a rare physical specimen in terms of size and athleticism and arm strength that, you know, I don't know if CJ Stroud is quite at that level, but I think he's close enough where he has the ability to be that kind of player with, as he develops over the next couple of years. Yeah. I'm less sure on that just because, you know, I think Justin Fields was just completely different as a runner and with his ability to almost just, he'd like a get out of jail free card where it's like he was going to get sacked and like, he just used the card and just decided not to get sacked. And like that part of him was just otherworldly. And I think that those two aspects of him, I just think are probably not going to be found in the next Ohio state starting quarterback. And if they are like, Oh my God, you just won the lottery. <laughs> uh, but uh, I think that your point about them not having to change a ton of the offense, I think that that's apt. I'll be interested to see how much they run him. If he's a starting quarterback, um, I think he can run. I don't think you want him running because you. I don't. I don't view him as the dynamic guy that I view Justin Fields. Um, and and maybe I'll be proven wrong, um, but that's just sort of how I see it as we sit here in the beginning of June. Well, I already keep seeing people comparing Quinn Ewers to Patrick Mahomes. So uh, the days of Ohio State quarterbacks being compared to uh, very lofty expectations aren't going to end anytime soon. No, no, not even a little bit. Nacho also asked, will Ohio State's offensive line be better or worse this year? I know it's good, but it didn't seem to play up to its potential in the national championship game. Do you know why that is by chance? Well, to answer the second question first, I think a big reason for that was because Wyatt Davis was hurt and Josh Myers was hurt. And, you know, Harry Miller didn't play in the semifinal game and, you know, Matthew Jones was in there and then, Davis had to leave early and, and Harry Miller came in and you know Paris Johnson was getting some snaps in there as a, a true freshman who had just moved to guard. So I think a big reason why the offensive line didn't play up to its potential of a national championship game is because it just wasn't healthy. Um, you know, in, in terms of a question, you know, better or worse, you know, Colin, I know you've written a little bit about how you think each unit will be better or worse. What, what's your thought on that? I actually had to look up what my opinion was so I wouldn't change it because I think the offensive line is one of the hardest positions to figure out if it'll be better than last year, if it'll be better this upcoming year or better the following year. Um, I think that it's just, I think it's just really hard. Um, you, you, you basically have to take the tackles out of the equation because I think that Thayer Munford and Nicholas petit Frere were awesome last year. And I expect they're going to be awesome next year. And you're Same. essentially just comparing the interior offensive lines. And are you saying is Ohio State with Wyatt Davis, Josh Myers, 
um, and Harry Miller going to be better than Matthew Jones, Harry Miller, and Paris Johnson. And I went or just, Harry Miller, Luke Whipler, and Paris yes, Johnson. Yes, and or Luke Whipler. I went with the 2020 offensive line being better than 2021. I do not feel strongly about that. I think you can make a really good case both ways. Like part of my reasoning for picking 2020 was thinking that like, if I'm comparing them, I'll compare the healthy versions of the lines. <laughs> Whereas if you're going to just look at, you know, how they performed, um, like I don't think Josh Myers and Wyatt Davis had their best seasons. And, and part of that was, was due to injury. Um, but I do think at their peak, I would probably pick 2020 better uh, over 2021. And a lot of that though, is due to the uncertainty of is Harry Miller going to take the next step? How good is Paris Johnson right off the bat? You know, how good is Matthew Jones or or Luke Whippler? I agree with all of that. I think, I think the offensive lines in a a solid place. I think, I think the depth of Ohio state's offensive line right now is as strong as it's ever been, but I think as strong as it will ever be. Like, I don't think it could be. Yeah. I I mean, it'll be easier to get stronger than this. It's, it's, it's pretty loaded right now in terms of depth, in terms of a lot of guys who I think have the potential to play if needed this year. But, you know, I, I would say that I, I don't, you know, I'm not going to predict that this year's interior offensive line will be better than last year's because Josh Myers and Wyatt Davis were both really good players. And I, I also agree. I, I don't think they played as well last year as they did the year before. I think there are a lot of reasons for that health. I think the disjointed nature of the season and not necessarily really being able to get a great chemistry uh, with Harry Miller and a, a disjointed season. I think, you know, those were factors, you know, Jonah Jackson was a guy who probably didn't get as much credit for how good he was in, in 2019. And so I think they missed him last year, but you know, I, I do have to say that I I'd go with last year's offensive line because we just right now, we just don't know if any of these guys are going to be great. I mean, they all have the potential to be. I mean, they could have a great interior offensive line, but so far they're all still mostly unproven at this point. And so I think, you know, that makes it a little bit more of a question mark inside. But I think the tackles are going to be the best tackle tandem in the country. And maybe I'm a little bit more reticent than others because I spent last summer saying there's no way Harry Miller's not going to be great. And Harry Miller was not great. So uh, when I'm looking at two first year starters who I think eventually will be great, maybe I'm just le- maybe I'm a little bit more gun shy. Maybe, maybe last year taught me personally a lesson about the interior offensive line. Nacho also asked, why do you think the rich have gotten richer in college football? It seems like teams like Ohio State, Clemson, Oklahoma, and Alabama have distanced themselves from a pack in their conference, and we see the same teams every year. We did not see this as much other than Bama before 2015. So maybe the transfer portal? Um, I, I don't know if the transfer – in my opinion, I, I don't really think it's the transfer portal. I mean, it, it helps like now that you have a team like Alabama that can go in and get a Jamison Williams and a – Henry Toto. I mean, certainly it helped Ohio State with Justin Fields and Trey Sermon and, and Jonah Jackson, but I think really it, it it just boils down to recruiting, and it boils down to the fact that these teams like Ohio State and and Alabama and Clemson, I mean, they're consistently at the top of the recruiting rankings year in and year out, and when you're doing that, you're gonna pull away from the rest of the pack because the reality is. You know, if you look at Ohio State's roster and you compare it to the rest of the Big Ten, I mean, there there really is no comparison. Like the the number of five and four star recruits that Ohio State has on its roster, nobody else in the Big Ten even comes close. You could say the same thing about Clemson and the ACC. You know, Alabama, of course, has, has been this juggernaut 
for a long time. And right now, I mean, they're showing absolutely no signs of slowing down. I think they're, they're rolling as well as they've ever been right now. And so I think you just have these few teams that really are just building talent, building up their rosters at a different level from everybody else. And, and I just think that, you know, we're, we're seeing more and more of the top talent going to just a select few schools as, you know, all of these teams, you know, I feel like even, you know, less than a decade ago, you were seeing more of top prospects, you know, for the most part, staying decently close to home. Whereas now, like you look at the West Coast, for example, you know, the Pac-12 just isn't keeping many of these guys. Most of these guys are going to Ohio State or Clemson or Alabama. And so it's like these, you know, few schools are really collecting the top talent from every region of the country. And that's just allowing them to really pull away from the pack and make it difficult for everyone else unless they really have a great year where everything comes together to really compete for a national title. I think recruiting is a big part of it. Um, I think it, I don't know that I would say it's the number one. I think it's a, I think it's a big part. And I think maybe more so than just recruiting, I would say recruiting. um, I I would put it this way. Like Ohio state is the class of the big 10 in recruiting in a way that, especially in the modern era recruiting, like no team has been their, their, their recruiting compared to the big 10 is crazy. Clemson is the exact same way in the ACC. They're recruiting to, to compared to the rest of the ACC teams is a way that probably hasn't been seen in the ACC in, in a long time. Um, and you have both of those happening as Nick Saban has Alabama on a freaking roll. Um, Oklahoma isn't the best recruiting team in the big 12. They're a really good recruiting team. I would say that recruiting is a really important thing, but Dan, what's the one thing that all four of these programs have in common? I mean, I, what, what, I don't know where you're going with it. So, all right. It's pretty simple. There's multiple ways you could go with it. They all have elite quarterback play in a world where recruiting, where, where quarterback play is becoming more and more important. Um, and if you're recruiting the best and you also have the best quarterbacks, you're just going to win every game. Like that's the, that, that I think has been the lesson uh, of the best, you know, few years is all of these teams, like Alabama was not too long ago winning with not the best quarterbacks. And now you put the best quarterbacks on the best team. What do you think is happening? Like <laughs> awesome, awesome things for them. Like Ohio State recruiting at a super high level. What are they also doing? They're bringing in the best quarterbacks. Oklahoma, not necessarily recruiting at the same level as the other three, um, still recruiting really well. And you maybe have the best quarterback developer, best quarterback recruiter in the country uh, named Lincoln Riley, who whose main competition is Ryan Day. Um, and, and I think if you look at all of those, I mean, obviously what Dabo has done with Clemson in terms of quarterbacks is, is really, really impressive. Um, to me, quarterback plays the, the, the commonality between all of them is you're recruiting at a really high level and you're adding on the best of the best quarterbacks every single year. Like, yeah, that's probably the reason why there's a little bit less, um, you know, parody and, 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 uh, and those teams have separated themselves a little bit more so than we've seen uh, in, in past years. And to Nacho's point, Oklahoma has certainly benefited from that because Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray and Jalen Hurts were all transfers. So uh, mm-hmm. Spencer Rattler, now they're trying to develop him into their next elite quarterback. And I think he certainly has 
the potential to be that. Caleb Williams has the potential uh, to be the next guy in line there. But they, yeah, I mean, you might have heard Justin Fields also transferred. Yeah, well, yeah, I mentioned yeah. that before, but yeah, I mean, definitely, uh, you know, these these teams, you know, Clemson, they they really haven't been a transfer player. I know that that's something they are planning to explore now, but you know, they really haven't been a player in the transfer market. Uh, before now, uh, but certainly, you know, Oklahoma and Ohio State uh, have very tangibly benefited from it, and we're seeing Alabama making a, a huge push in that area this offseason too. Yeah, I mean, they're, the, the, those four programs, I think that the, the way they're recruiting and the way that they have the, the quarterbacks of the future set up, like to me, this isn't a situation where we're going to see them get overtaken easily in the near future. Uh, they've, they've really set themselves up well. Buck298 asked, how about special teams? With a new punter and kicker, will we be meeting Jim Tressel's standards of quality? Can they get the job done with the game on the line? Or are we just maintaining status quo on our ball, security approach, and kickoff and punt returns? I wrote about this a couple weeks ago. I mean, you know, it's, it's kind of like when we talk about, you know, the quarterbacks. I mean, we just don't really know because these guys haven't really, in terms of a kicker and punter, I mean, we saw Jake Seibert, attempt two field goals last season jesse murko has never even played in an american football game so i mean they're very much unknowns at this point you know i think there's reasons to be concerned because you know jake cyber in the very limited action we've seen from him hasn't looked great you know jesse murko you know didn't look great in the spring game and that's literally all we have to go off so you know i think there's reason for concern there at the same time I also don't think we want to read too much into, you know, how they performed in a spring game, how they performed in very limited action. So to me, it's just hard to say, you know, I think, you know, one point that, you know, you made uh, off air a couple of weeks ago, Colin was, you know, in terms of game on the line, it's been a long time since Ohio state has actually needed a field goal with the game on the line. So whoever will even see, Jake Seibert in that situation this year, who knows? But I do think, you know, right now, you know, if, if, you know, let's say that second game against Oregon, if you need a game winning field goal to win the game, I think you'd be a little concerned right now because there just isn't any real tangible evidence to know whether he can do it. Yeah. That's, you know, I think that Jim Trussell would, if he's out there listening, he's got to plug his ears, but uh, (laughs) I don't know how much, how many times, I would look at Ohio State's kicking game and say, like, this is going to win or lose them the game. Like, how often have we said that in the last, I don't know, five years? Like, I quite literally don't remember saying that. Um, Like, the one kick that I remember uh, specifically, like the most impactful kick was when Penn State blocked the kick in 2016, uh, and then they beat Ohio State. Like, that was the one that I can remember. Um, I remember Drew Chrisman – Beating Michigan, Michigan State, State in, was that 2018, I think. Like, that was an awesome performance by him. Uh, but, like, I don't know. Maybe, maybe maybe I'm wrong on this, but I don't view the special teams thing as a, as a giant concern. I view it as, like, yeah, it's some uncertainties, but um, I don't think that if you're Ohio State, like, this is going to, to win or lose you games. And I also think, like, you know, I, I don't think that these guys are going to be com- complete busts. Like I think they'll be perfectly serviceable. And I think Ohio state, Ohio state doesn't need a high ceiling. It doesn't need a ton of production out of these guys. It just needs them to get the job done in, in the, in the limited circumstances that, that it needs to call on them. But yes, 
having a new kicker and a new punter in the same year, I don't know that that's maybe the most fun uh, for, for, you know, Ohio state's coaches. Yeah. I think really if Ohio state's offense is as good as they expect it to be, if Ohio state's offense can be anything close to what it's been the past couple of years, then it's not a huge deal. You know, if the, if the offense is scoring a lot of points, then you don't need to kick a lot of field goals. You don't need to punt a lot. You don't need your kickoff and punt returners to be making a lot of big plays. If the offense is moving the ball a lot, that stuff's not a huge deal. It's it's if the offense has a bad game, that's when you really need those guys to be able to step up. And I think it's really, you know, all to be determined, you know, in terms of the, you know, return question. I mean, I, I, I can't say that I have a whole lot of optimism that we're going to suddenly start seeing a lot of flash plays in the return game this year. Cause we just haven't really seen much of that at all recently. And I, my guess is it's going to be largely the same guys in those units with, you know, Demario McCall returning kickoffs and, you know, Garrett Wilson, Jackson Smith and Jigba returning punts. So I don't have really any expectations that we're going to suddenly start seeing a ton of big plays in a return game this year. I mean, I think you're going to see a lot of fair catches in both of them because that's just kind of a way uh, the rules are set up now. So uh, it would be certainly something that they would love to see happen. I don't necessarily think they need it to happen. I think it would be a nice bonus, but uh, you know, I think in all of those areas, if they can just be solid, if they can just be good enough to get the job done, that'll be enough for Ohio state. Yeah, I mean that's that's all Ohio State's looked for in their return game since at least the beginning of the the Urban Meyer era. And I didn't cover or really watch a ton of the Jim Trestle era, so I don't remember their kickoffs and or their kick returns and punt returns. I obviously remember Ted Ginn Jr., um, but but I don't remember uh, a ton outside of that. But ever since Urban Meyer has taken over, like there hasn't been a ton of focus on we got to get some dynamic plays out of their return game because they know. In 2021, if you fair catch the ball, you have the ball in C.J. Stroud's hands. You're throwing to Jeremy Ruckert, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave. You know, you're handing the ball off to Travion Henderson, Master Teague, Mayan Williams. Like, the the you don't need to try and get an extra seven yards in the return game if you have that kind of offense. Well, it's appropriate, but on a show where we welcomed in Andrew Ellis, a.k.a. Teddy Heisman, that we would finish off with a mention of Ted Ginn Jr. So – Thanks again for listening in, everyone. We are actually going to be off next week. Colin is going to be on vacation, so he's going to be enjoying his vacation, and we will not have an episode of Real Pod Wednesdays next week. But we will be back in two weeks uh, to talk about everything that's been happening in Ohio State sports as we uh, continue to get through this crazy month on the recruiting trail and uh, continue marching ever so slowly toward the start of the 2021 Ohio State football season. So thanks again for listening in and we'll talk to you again soon.